How to Launch Financial Grownups. Welcome to Common Sense on the Prairie, a podcast dedicated to helping you demystify the sometimes complex topic of money. I'm Adam Cox, Head of Wealth Management for the First National Bank in Sioux Falls. We're a community bank based out of South Dakota. In this podcast, we share expert insights from around the country and stories from our local community to arm you with the tools you need to make better financial decisions. Because the truth is, the more we talk about this stuff, the better off we're all going to be. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Bobby Rebell. Bobby is a certified financial planner and author of Launching Financial Grownups, Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. She is a financial literacy advocate, the host of Money Tips for Financial Grownups podcast, and the founder of GrownUpGear.com. Bobby was previously a global business news anchor and personal finance columnist at Reuters and has held various journalist positions at top news outlets, including CNBC, CNN, and PBS. If you have kids and you're anything like me, you may be constantly second-guessing yourself and wondering whether you're teaching them the skills they need to become financially independent and successful adults. Should I give them an allowance or should I put them on commission? Should I make them get a summer job? What about traveling sports? Well, I recently came across a book that hit on this very subject and was so good, I just had to talk with its author. Launching Financial Grownups is a call to action for parents of teenagers and young adults who want the best for their kids, but are beginning to realize their own financial independence and financial separation from their children has to become a priority as well. It is also a practical guide for how best to raise our children into financial responsible, independent young adults in a rapidly changing and increasingly competitive economy. Here's my conversation with Bobby Rebell. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we finally got on your calendar. You're a busy man. Yes, yes. Well, so are you. You just have a new book out, which is fantastic, by the way. And as the father of two kids, I have lots of questions for you. But first, I've got to know. So I've never put out a book. I imagine you're excited, you're exhausted, all the above. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This is really fun. So this is my second book. And what's interesting, I was talking with another friend of mine who's also recently put out her second book. And we felt like, well, one book, you could sort of say, I did a book. And with three books, it's more like a trilogy. With two, (laughs) we sort of feel like lost in the middle. We keep getting questions about the third book. And I'm like, I am tired. Like it was a lot of work to write the book. I hope people enjoy it if they read it, but it was definitely, I love my first book too, but this was in the words of my brother. He was trying to be complimentary, but without, you know, saying anything about my first book, but he said, this is a very substantial book. You, you know, I put a lot of research into it. I interviewed a lot of incredible experts. This is a book born out of my struggles as a parent. And I went to the experts because I was having trouble and I didn't have a resource out there, even though I knew a lot about money on paper, uh, getting kids to care about money and take ownership of their financial future is not easy. No, no, it's it's not. So is that what you, is that what really inspired you to write the book was kind of your own experiences? Oh, I was failing fabulously, Adam. It was so bad. I mean, you know, for someone, I am, I am a certified financial planner. I pass yep. the test and I take all the continuing education classes and I know what I'm supposed to know. Um, I don't have an active practice right now. And I have a background in journalism covering financial journalism. So I have the information, but as any parent knows, just because you know what your kids should do, that is in no way connected to actually getting them to do what yeah. you know they should do. 
So it's complicated and I needed help myself. Yeah. Well, you know, and as I've talked to people about this, I've been really excited about this episode. So I've been telling people about it and parents and everyone that I've been talking to like, yes, yes, this is exactly what we need. So some people out there might be listening and, and saying, you know, is this really an issue, Bobby? Like, is this, is this a thing? And you know, I'm here to tell you, I've been doing this work for a long time and you can say just as easy as I can, it is a big deal. And you had a stat in your book, Bobby, that mm-hmm. blew my mind. So I'm going to read it off here. So I make sure I get it right. You said, as of right now, 79% of parents are providing financial support for their adult children. 79%, Bobby, yeah. what is happening here? Yeah. So I think the goalposts moved a lot over the last generation or so. It used to be 18, maybe 22 was sort of the mark of adulthood. And I know I'm a Gen Xer. There was pressure when you got out of college. It was a slacker move to live at home. I was embarrassed. I lived at home for three months before I got my first job, which was at CNBC. All my friends had already, you know, they moved from college to an apartment, maybe with roommates, but there was a lot of pressure to be an adult right away. And now for various reasons, which I do go into in the book, but one of them, for example, in terms of financial support is many parents keep their kids on their health insurance until they're Mm. 26. So that kind of moved the goalposts because you have that financial tie already. And once you're tied with healthcare, maybe you're also keeping them on the family phone plan. Again, (laughs) we didn't have cell phones mainstream when we were 18, 22, whatever age you want to, you know, look back on as being the start of your adulthood. So Now we have things where we have financial ties to our kids longer. Netflix, other streaming services, again, we're bundled together. And one thing I talk about in the book is that it doesn't make sense to create extra expenses. If it's free to keep your kid on your insurance, keep them on your insurance. If it's free to have them on your phone bill or next to free, don't create extra expenses. So we have these ties longer. The question is, where do we draw the line? That's a great question. That's, that's the million dollar question, right? Because another, another stat, I'm not going to throw stats at you the, the whole episode, but there was a couple of things that jumped on me. The first was about the 79%, but the other one that really caught me off guard was you said, according to a study you referenced, 50% of parents say that they'll sacrifice their retirement savings to help their adult children. And so, you know, they put the question back on the parents, like, where's the line? There's a lot at risk and at stake for those parents that are choosing to do that especially if they really can't afford it long-term. This is really the heart of the book is that while we want to say our priority is our children, at the end of the day, our priority really has to be ourselves. It goes back to the whole idea of the oxygen mask on the airplane. If we are not able to take care of ourselves, well, think about it this way. There's two problems that are going on here. Not only have you not empowered your children to take care of themselves financially, now you have a second issue because you may have to go to them to help you financially at just the time when they are sort of in that sandwich generation, when they have their own expenses because their kids may be in school. They want to be saving for college for their kids. They hopefully are you know, moving into a house of their own and starting their life. The last thing you want to do is have them feel they need to support you financially. So it's really a gift to the whole family if you can set them up for success. Yeah. And the and parents' hearts are in the right place, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, they're going into this blindly. They they want to help their kids. But, you know, I did a whole episode on the importance <laughs> of putting yourself first. Like you just have to do it. And one of the lines in, in that episode, I've, I, I didn't make it up, but someone else said, you know, there's no scholarships for retirement. Yeah. And so there's ways to pay for college. There's ways to 
you know, get into your first apartment, things like that. But if you're sacrificing your golden years and you're not able to pay for yourself in retirement, and then that's to say nothing about long-term care expenses, the whole thing, it gets really, really expensive. And if you're not careful, that burden then shifts back to your kids, even though you were trying to avoid that situation to begin with. And the only thing worse than asking your kids for financial help is asking your kids for financial help and them not being able to give it to you because you haven't taught them to stand on their own, let alone be there for members of the family. Because there are situations we learned in the pandemic, Adam, where through completely uncontrollable systemic things that happen in society, the roles can be reversed Mm. without any anticipation. We had many kids moving home and helping their parents with their businesses. You know, people worry about boomerang kids. Well, you also could have kids helping parents. You want your kids to be able to help you in your times of need. So, and, and we do everything we can as parents to never be in that situation. But as we learned, (laughs) we are not in control of everything. Things happen. And there were a lot of couples that had parents that had businesses that were, they thought were not aligned so that one would always be fine if the other one went down and yet they both got hit during the pandemic. And then you have this crazy situation that could have never been anticipated. And you want to make sure not only are your kids there to support you, that your kids aren't so dependent on you that they go off the cliff when you suddenly can't provide support. I mean, it's great to provide support for the nice to haves, but you shouldn't be for adult kids having to support them for the need to haves. Don't be paying their rent because right. that's just a dangerous situation. But, you know, if you want to take them on a family vacation, the nice to haves, that's great. You want to pay for your grandchildren's camp? Please do. Life is yep. hard enough. You know, right. help put money away for your grandchildren's college. Please do. All yep. good things. But don't create a situation where if suddenly you're not there to do those things, things are going to fall apart for the next generation because you love them and you don't want that to happen to them. No, that's right. So let's talk about parents for a second. Despite our best intentions, can can we as parents sometimes become an obstacle to our kids becoming financially independent? I think very often that is the case is mm. what happens is we as parents hold them back because our generation, and I'm speaking as a Gen Xer, but obviously it bleeds to older millennials and younger boomers. We have so much of our identity wrapped up in our children mm. and our success or failure as parents. We take that so personally and it's so close to our own identity that we unintentionally and with all the best intentions often undermine their ability to be their own independent adults. And it's not just with money. I'll give you an example from two weeks ago, <laughs> a mistake that my husband and I made, and it's not financial. My uh, Our 22-year-old, his passport's expiring. We're going to go on a family trip in August. So we're like, okay, we got to get his passport renewed. And he's away at college. He's in college. So he's not literally home, although he's in New York City where we live. He's at NYU downtown. But we said, okay, well, you know, time to get your kid's passport renewed. We Off we go, mom and dad, to the passport. <laughs> window at the, uh, at the, you know, where this is going at the post office. And we were informed by a lovely lady. She just looked at us like bug eyed, like, who are you people? And we said, well, we need to get our child's passport renewed. And she's like, okay, what's the age? And we said 22. And she just looked at us and started (laughs) laughing. (laughs) And she's like, people, he's an adult, right? He needs to come himself. He doesn't need you. And where's the child? So, yeah. you know, we were sort of corrected because it didn't really even occur. Like we went in person, in person, yeah. the two of us went, made an appointment with each other and went to renew his passport, not involving him. 
Now, once we told him that his passport had to be renewed, he then went and made an appointment and renewed his passport. Yeah. It was very easy. All we had to do was inform him that he had to renew his passport. He uh, didn't need us to do it for him. We yeah. just, in our minds, couldn't detach that he was an adult. And not only that, I believe it's after age 16 sure. that they're considered adults from the point of view of the passport people. So it's very often us and very often the kids can do whatever it is we're doing for themselves, for them. They can do it themselves. We are the ones that have to sort of understand that they actually are adults and they'll be fine. And yeah. we can just like step back and just be there if they have a question, you know, yep. oh, what do I need to bring? Well, you know, instead of telling them what they need to bring to the uh, passport office, you can just say, well, why don't you Google the passport, you know, whatever the US Gov web website for that and figure it out yourself. And if you have questions, ask me. Yeah, I, I, we they don't need our help with as much as we think they do. Sure. But it's hard to let go. It is. God bless you. That's great. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, uh, but uh, I hope people learn from that. It, it's really, it's sad. Yeah. But yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening has heard of the phrase helicopter parents, but you introduced me a phrase that totally cracked me up. Uh, tell me what a concierge parent is. Maybe this goes in line with your story there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really true. So a concierge parent is much like a concierge at a hotel or a resort. They are available pretty much anytime, 24 seven, you know, sometimes via text even or direct, you know, you've got their direct number. You can get to them at any time. They'll drop what they're doing to help you and they will solve your problems usually with the help of money. Yep. And a lot of parents do that. It's sort of an extension of helicopter parenting as kids get older. Yep. I love that. That one cracked me up. I'd never heard that one before. (laughs) So, you know, as parents, our natural instinct when our kids are hurting, they're going through stuff. We want to take that pain away, right? That's just kind of innate with us as, as parents. We want to help. But financially speaking, when our kids mess up and we swoop in and we help and we make the problem go away, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly, our kids can start to believe maybe we'll do that every time. So, Bobby, how do we balance our desire to help our kids with the very real risk that we could be creating a long-term dependency? That is such an excellent question, Adam. I think you really want to start with listening to them and sometimes having what I call white space in the conversation. People say, oh, give me a script for that. Well, the script would be blank largely because the less you say, the more they may step up and come up with their own solutions. So if they ask you, um, so back to back to 22-year-old Bradley, he's raising money for a film. He's making a film. He's uh, graduating from film school. He's got his thesis came to us, said, you know, I need to raise X dollars for this film. And we could have written the check, right? It was a big check. We didn't want to write the check. Don't get me wrong. But we could have. Instead, we said, oh, how are you going to raise the money? Silence. Well, I was asking you for ideas. I said, well, what do you think? What do other people do? What do other students? Have you asked your peers? What kind of ways are common? And we sort of sent him back to the drawing board. And now, um, if anyone wants to go online to Indiegogo, you can definitely contribute to Meatball Town, um, to nice. Bradley's film. And uh, please, you know, give your $25 if you want to support a young man who's working very hard to break into the film business. We did give a, a small donation, you know, supporting it. We sure. encouraged him to reach out to friends and family that he knows, and he's working at raising the money. And I think that's a great lesson because if he wants to go into the film business and be a producer, 
he's going to have to raise money. Yeah. And that's yep. part of the learning process. It's not just about filming the actual movie. It's about how are you going to fund this project? How are you going to get people interested in funding it? And how are you going to show them the budget? Because people don't want to give you money if they don't know what it's for. How are you going to explain, you know, why NYU is not contributing? Why aren't they paying for this and all of all this stuff? So he has this whole site and people can see there's a very funny video there and he's doing it himself. And we have resisted. We thought about, well, should we top him off? Should we finish it out for him? So far, no. Of course, it's TBA. We are weak sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, we all are. we're holding back and um, we'll see. But he may not raise his goal money. He sort of has his budget that he can get by on. And then he has his dream budget and he's close to the budget he can get it done with. And it's an important lesson that you may not have all the resources that you want. And you have to then make adjustments to your goals, just like even, you know, retirement. Yep. What happens when you don't have exactly the money that the calculator said you should have? Well, you course correct. Yeah. And you make adjustments in how you're going to live and it'll be okay too. Yep. And it's such a, I mean, that's such a valuable point for people to pick up on too, is we all encounter hardships in our life mm -hmm. and we all have pain and we all have failure. And if parents, you know, contort themselves and always try to fix those things and make it go away, that could be taking away the very thing that makes our kids wildly successful one day. Yeah. It's important to, you know, look, my son did chess, the younger one who's now 14 and he would get these trophies and yeah, he got a couple of times. He got second place, never got first, unfortunately not doing <laughs> chess anymore, but he would get like 10th place trophies yeah. and I got an apartment full of these 10th place trophies now or whatever. I'm exaggerating, but all, all different placements. And it's just ridiculous because I think there is something to be said for saying, you know, look, the goal really, yes, showing up is important. And, and at certain younger ages, sure. But at a certain point, there is a winner, yep. right? And it's okay. And winning is not a sweet if everyone wins. Yep. And people are not going to strive to be the best that they can be if they don't really see a reward for it. And it is different to come in first place. And it is different to come in second and third. And I don't know that there should be trophies. I mean, I don't want to take away the eighth place, eighth place trophies if people <laughs> want their three-year-olds to have them. Yeah, but right. <laughs> I think that we've gone too far down that route. And it's yeah. important to let them know that not that they should do things that they're going to be more successful at. It's really hard to let a child drop an activity, but sometimes they should drop an activity if they don't enjoy it and they're not good at it, let them drop it. Yeah. I mean, I used to push my son to do certain sports because I felt like, well, he should learn this. And at a certain age, you let them pair back and focus on what they're interested in. And, and, and that goes as sort of a metaphor. You have to let them live their life, not mm. what you perceive their life should be. So true. So earlier we discussed about, you know, 79% of parents are helping their adult children financially. You know, I'm guessing part of the reason why that's happening is a lot of the kids need it. And um, again, your book, you had this great stat. It said 58% of young adults ages 18 to 34 said they can't afford their lifestyles without parental support. So, you know, before we talked about the cell phone bill and healthcare and things like that, I'm, I'm guessing some of this is bigger than that. Bobby, do you think... Are, are young folks adopting a lifestyle that's outside of their means because they know mom and dad are backstopping or are, are a lot of folks just having trouble covering the basics? Both. Both. I would okay. say both. I, yeah. I would say, first of all, because of the rise of social media and just so much information coming at us and so much lifestyle expectation, there is more pressure on young people to live 
a lifestyle that in previous generations, people might not have achieved until later in life. So for example, um, my husband lived in what I would say was a very unsafe apartment with roommates when he first started out. It was a dump (laughs) Mm -hmm. with, you know, all kinds of, let's just say grossness, you know, rats and mice or whatever. I don't know what was going on there. I, (laughs) I lived at home briefly and then people can read the book. And then I lived in a very small studio, but now we don't really have that. Kids sort of want to live almost at the level of their parents right away because they see so much online and there's pressure, even in the life rituals. I mean, I people are busy, you know, with the, what happens now that we're coming out of the pandemic with bridesmaids parties and, and, mm. and all these, you know, engagement parties. I mean, they do these elaborate weekends and stuff and, and that's great and it's so much fun, but the financial pressure on young people to keep up with these life rituals that their peers are you know, doing is a lot. Yeah. It's a lot for them. And add to that student debt, which is often an issue. It's very complicated. So it's not as simple to say, oh, they should just live the way we did, you know, because their peers are not doing that. And no. the fact is there's all kinds of studies. I don't have it in my book, but you're only as happy basically as the people around you. And and the key to financial happiness often is having as much or slightly more than your peer group. Yep. And that can really create a lot of anxiety for young people to keep up. So it's very complicated and I don't envy the young people today. It is really hard. Um, and parents sometimes put pressure on young people to be at a higher lifestyle level than they might've been at that age unknowingly, well-intentioned. You might recommend your, you know, someone says, oh, your kid says, where should I go for dinner with my friends? And you recommend your favorite restaurant. Well, that might not be the right price point for them. So we need to really sort of do a little, you know, gut check when we talk to our young adult children about how they're spending money and let them know that it's okay to be where they are in their early 20s and live the appropriate lifestyle for where they are right now. Yeah. Oh, so great. It's hard. It is. It is. Yeah. Especially when, I mean, I don't know about you, but when you went to college, like my dorm, I mean, there was no heating and cool. I mean, it was awful. It was a dump. Yeah. It was just like, and then my first apartment equally terrible. And then, you know, it didn't get better for a little while. Now I see what these kids are living in, in the dorms. And it's like, oh my gosh, like everything is going to be a step back when they get out of college. It's crazy. And that's, I also have a big beef about how expensive college has gotten. I mean, you know, I've, I've talked about it. My, my son, my stepson goes to NYU and everyone can look up the price of that. And I, I have a bigger beef with the schools that have made tuition so expensive because of the things that you're talking about, which are not necessarily improving the academics of a school. And that's where the burden is really being created. I mean, the lenders, you can get mad at them, but at the end of the day, they're making it possible for so many people to attend school. So I don't really have, and you know, you have to sort of know what you're getting into with debt. There's a lot of problems there too, but, but the heart of the problem is why are our academic institutions so bloated that tuition has to be so astronomical. Mm. I mean, my husband and I have done very well in life and writing these checks for college has been painful. Yeah, And I just don't think it should be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. No other country has a system like this where yeah. you can be in a lifetime of poverty because you love your children and want to have them be educated or, you know, or a young person themselves takes out loans. And this burden is, you know, at the beginning of their lives is just tragic and really can create so many multi-generational financial hurdles for them to get past. Yeah. I've, 
you know, I've made it no secret on this show um, and anyone who will ask me and even people who won't um, that, you know, I started off coming out of school with a huge amount of debt, over $200,000 from graduate school. And um, that's not right. No. And I, you know, but I I made the investment. I took the risk, but I'll never get rid of that scar. Right. Even though the debt's long gone, it's just, it's, it's not going to go away. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I, I, we've, I think we will have paid over a million dollars in tuition when we're done with three kids, you know, between all of them. And that's not right. That's just not right as a society. Like I said, you know, we're very fortunate, but I don't understand how we can be expected as a society to continue to carry this kind of financial burden or, I mean, it's almost like you're being punished for wanting your kids to have a college education and it's, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves because I don't know that the next generation will go to college in the same numbers because it's not always a proven investment. I mean, it paid off for you, but I'm not sure it does for everybody. Yeah, that's right. That's also a complicated thing, but there's a lot of good stuff happening in, in higher education. That's exciting. So Bobby, I mean, you've mentioned you and your husband have been blessed to be successful. Um, and so, you know, even if parents can afford to supplement their kid's lifestyle, that decision is not without cost, right? So what are maybe some of the psycho- uh, psychological impacts or risks of doing that on the, on the kids? I think that it, you have to be very careful. I think there's a lot of productive ways that you can subsidize their life, but it's important to not undermine their ability to be their own independent adults. And that goes back to the issue. You know, we talk so much in personal finance about needs versus wants. <laughs> so when we talk about ourselves, we're advising a peer, we will say, you know, make sure you've got your needs covered. Don't worry about the wants. When it comes to subsidizing your kids, if at all possible, focus more on the wants than the needs. Let them know that you have confidence in them, that they will choose, let's say, a place to live where they can afford the rent. But you're happy to subsidize, you know, whatever it may be, going out for a family dinner every week or going on family vacations. It's fine to pay for that. If they have kids, pay for your pay for your grandchildren, as I said, to go to camp. You know, if you have money, you can put away in a 529 or other savings vehicle. And we can mm-hmm. talk about why 529s are something that people need to be go into with eyes wide open about. Um, but, you know, save money for your grandchildren's future. You know, take lift that burden off of them if you can but make sure that they're living to the point we were making before living the right lifestyle for them. And and that's a big gift. And it's, it's hard to do because you do want to be there for them and you do want them to be as comfortable as possible because you love them. So it's all coming out of a good place. Yep. Let's talk about successful families a little bit. Over the years, I've talked to countless families that have done very well for themselves. And one of the things that I've heard time and time again is my kids just aren't motivated. And yeah. I have no doubt sometimes that's true. And this is what I'd like to get your, your opinion on. But I also wonder if for high net worth families in particular, they haven't created a structure where they've given their kids everything. And so they haven't needed to be motivated. And so I wonder, is it just the kids aren't motivated or they haven't need to be motivated? You're correct on both yeah. counts. <laughs> yes, both, yes. right? <laughs> yes and both. Right. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly right. And what you need to do, in my opinion, and this is what my father did, um, is he started getting us involved. My family does work with, I have some money, I will tell you in index funds and all that, and my own money in, in, uh, you know, discount brokerage that I manage, but there's some 
money that's family money that as my father has gotten older, he's in his eighties is money that he wants us to be involved with. Okay. And so that's with a third party money manager. And mm-hmm. what we've done, and this is pre-pandemic, um, it's been a little more loosey-goosey with the pandemic and everything being virtual, but we would go in and meet as a family mm-hmm. with a money manager. And it was very important to him to create a relationship that did not involve him directly with the money manager. So that if I have a question about an investment or I have, for example, they will check in with me regarding goals. What are my goals? We had um, a liquidation event. We sold a, a family home during okay. the pandemic. And so, you know, she asked myself and my siblings, what are your goals with this money? And my father was not involved in that conversation. So I had agency over that money. Now, was there an expectation that I not say, give me the cash, I'm going shopping? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's an understanding. Yeah. I'm in my fifties though. And you know, the answer was keep it rolling, keep it yep. invested. I'm not going there. I'm not touching it. Um, I haven't needed it yet. We're living on our income, yep. but I know that I can speak to this person directly and I have my own relationship. And so that gives me interest because now the numbers are real to me. And so I think giving your children direct access to a money manager and letting them know that that's their decision-making, obviously you can behind the scenes be you know aware if depending on how you want to set things up, mm-hmm. but letting them have some agency with some family money and some control with the guardrails up very important guardrails up information flowing, but let them understand that this is a responsibility for them going forward and that you have expectations for them to manage it wisely and that you've also set up help for them and that it's not on you anymore. It's on them and that their decisions will be listened to and respected And hopefully that will garner some interest. Now, in the extreme case where you have a kid who simply doesn't have interest, and I do cover this in my book, they might not have interest. They might truly not have the ability. You have Mm. kids that just aren't interested ever, or there are special needs kids that are are not going to be able to ever really be the decision maker with respect to that. It's very important to set up, again, third-party money managers um, that can set up the right um, trust accounts management systems so that that child is protected. And that is important to accept the fact that sometimes they're not going to ever get to that place. And and it can be frustrating for parents to come to that realization. But at the end of the day, you want to protect your child. Yeah. And not every child will be able to step up to the expectations that you had hoped for. I don't know if I phrased that correctly. No, but you, yeah, you, you totally I did. think you know where I'm going with this. Yep. It's just real life. It's real yep. life. And, and, some kids are not going to get there. So no. you need to set up systems to protect them. Yep. All right. Let's finish by discussing a few things that we as parents can do to successfully launch financial grownups. So one of the things that I loved about your, about your book is you kept coming back to the same theme of open communication about money in a family. Now, not all of us had that relationship with money growing up, right? Not all parents were comfortable talking about those things, but Even if we didn't talk to our parents directly about money much, chances are we did get to see them model some personal financial behaviors. And I'm sure everyone watching this episode can remember their parents sitting around the kitchen table paying bills, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, a lot of that has moved digital. It's on our phones. And so I think we've lost a little bit of a teaching moment there. So Bobby, how can we be intentional about creating those teachable moments in this new digital age? Such a great question, Adam. 
we can't change the reality, right? I love that Ron Lieber in his book, The Opposite of Spoiled, talks about these three jars. And I did do that when my son was young. But the reality is we can't change where we are and we have to meet our kids where they are. And that is in the digital world where we are for the most part as well. I mean, I have memories of my mom on Fridays going in. There was like a, it was like a capsule that went into the bank and she would get cash for the weekend. Oh yeah. That's not happening anymore. Right. So (laughs) we have to meet them where they are and we have to look at the positive aspects of this. So for example, there are many apps where, and I happen to use an app called Greenlight where you can put money on, you know, but you can use any debit card, right? Yeah put money on the card, on their phone, in whatever format you want. And what's nice there is, first of all, you can give your kid money even when they're not with you. And that's really useful. You can pay babysitters without having to worry about, did I bring cash? All that kind of stuff. So look at the upside. But also you can look at where they're spending and then discuss it. And there's no getting around. If they went, my son went to Krispy Kreme a bunch of times and I sort of was like, (laughs) that's not what I want you eating, honey. And he's like, well, that's where my friends go. I'm like, well, you're not going to go there anymore. And so you do have that transparency and you can look at with them. You can go at the end of the year and do, you know, with one button, you can get a little, um, diagram on the, uh, on the computer and see where their money's going. So there's so many positives about the digital world that I would prefer to just focus on that and see how we can use these resources to better educate our children. Sure. It's a great answer. So in my mind, some of the most valuable things our kids can learn from us uh, as they're growing up before they leave are things like delayed gratification and trade-offs and priorities and money values. But if we're being honest, those are tough concepts for a lot of adults to get. Uh, so yes. how, do we, how do we introduce those concepts to our kids? You look for real life opportunities and you give them choices. So one thing pre-pandemic I used to do with my now 14 year old, when we would, I would pick him up at school and we're very fortunate here in New York city. We can walk many places, but sometimes it's a bit of a stretch depending on where we're going. And I would pick him up at school and I would say, well, we have an allocation of, you know, X dollars. We could either take a cab to where we're going for your next activity, or we can stop and have a snack with that money which would you prefer today? And you know what? Different days, he chose different things. Mm. So he might not have the snack that day. So you have to just teach them about choices, that there's limited resources. Even the wealthiest of people, maybe not the very wealthiest of them, but (laughs) even people that, I mean, my husband and I, we're renovating a bathroom and we like to joke about it, but we made a choice. We had three bathrooms that all needed renovation, but there were certain things that he's 55 years old that were very important to him. to have in this bathroom that he Steam really shower? wanted. Yes. And yes. also, so there's a rain shower, <laughs> there's a heated towel rack, there's uh, a really fancy toilet. There's all kinds of stuff going on. But I was like, okay, you really want that stuff. How about we do one bathroom the way you want it and we're just going to wait on the other two. And that's what we did. Yep. And the kids know that, that we're only doing one bathroom. And yep. we're in our 50s. Mm-hmm. But we had to make that choice because we had a budget. And if we're going to blow the whole budget on the first, I shouldn't say blow it on the first one because it's very deliberate, but we basically said, we don't want three mediocre bathrooms. We want one fantastic one. And you know, the kids' bathrooms can wait. (laughs) Maybe that's a little selfish, but you know, we wanted what we wanted in our bathroom and we were like, yeah, they can wait, whatever. Take care of yourself first, Bobby, right? Exactly. It's a choice. It's a choice. So I think uh, kids see that they see it's important, but to be, to not just say to them, oh, we're doing one bathroom to say, 
we're doing one bathroom because we budgeted for three, but when we looked realistically at the prices given inflation, which is an opportunity to talk about what's going on right now, which is inflation, given the labor shortages, because we had to pay out for labor, given that New York City has a lot of um, regulations and permit fees that really added to the cost, and given the time constraints, because our building only allows you to do construction for a narrow window of time, we chose to only do one. So you have to not only make the choices, but let the kids be aware of why you're making those choices. Yeah, that's great. I had a guest on probably a year ago and we talked about kids and money and, and, you know, obviously you can't have a rational conversation with a three-year-old throwing a tantrum in target, but you know, he talked about being intentional about calling out these conversations instead of just saying, no, we can't afford it. Or just no to saying, we probably could afford that, but we're choosing to instead spend our money here and this is why. And I thought that was a really great yeah. approach. I it wouldn't even like, include the word afford. I would just say, we're not here to get that and we're not going to be getting that today and yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. Just say that's not our, that's not what we're going to choose to spend our money on today. So Bobby, as our kids get a little bit older, um, how do we set the stage with some of these big conversations around things like who's going to pay for college and when do we expect them to be off the payroll and, and, and when should we start those conversations? I think as early as they're ready to hear it. Yeah. Every kid is different, but if you are not going to be paying for college, then you do want to have that conversation early. If you intend, if you want your kid to go to college and they want to go to college and they're going to pay for it, the more notice you can give them, the better. Don't just assume that they know make sure they understand that they're going to be responsible for all or part of it. Because the truth is it might motivate them to choose certain activities. It may motivate them to work harder at a sport so they can get a scholarship. It may motivate them to be resourceful in terms of scholarships, to find jobs that maybe aren't um, exactly what they want to be doing, but have bigger paychecks, be a little more thoughtful about things. And then you'll protect them on the other end from having so much student debt. It may have them choose to delay college for a year and just work full time and then, you know, put a ton of money away. There's a lot of things people can do with a gap year, including bank a lot of money so that they get out. You know, it's easier to have the money in advance and never have the loan than to be paying back the loan while you're living life as an independent adult. So the earlier you can set those expectations within the child's ability to absorb it and their maturity, I can't stress enough how you have to adapt to different child's needs and personalities and maturity levels and understand that different kids will be able to adapt to different things at different times in their life and to be empathetic to your children and understand that growing up is really hard (laughs) and there's a lot of things going on in their maturity and their development besides learning about money. So take things in context and it's okay to take a step back. The money lessons can't wait forever, but they'll come in time and to give your children some grace and patience. I love it. Uh, I don't think we could end it any better than that. But before I let you go, I was remiss. I didn't ask you my favorite question at the beginning. Oh, no. I love to ask people about music. So uh, who haven't you seen in concert that you would like to see? Oh, my goodness. Britney Spears. Britney Spears. That's <laughs> go my out, answer. Go, Britney go Spears. To, yes. Yeah. Go out to Vegas yes. and see I was the show. Billy Joel because, but I've seen him. So once you said I've already seen him, that I can't say Billy Joel, but I think Britney Spears is very fun, and I've yeah. never seen her in person. So that's sort of you know of my generation. But <laughs> I don't know if she's going back to Vegas. I missed yeah. it. Yeah. And now yeah. she's having a baby. 
Could have missed so, your window. Yeah. I miss I might have missed my window, but maybe <laughs> maybe more realistically, J Lo, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. She'd be fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're into that. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. What so, about you? I'm sure your your listeners know, but what's your answer? So yeah, I'm more of a country guy. I haven't seen oh. um I haven't seen Eric Church and I'd like to see okay. him. Um, but also kind of an off the wall answer, the Lumineers. I would really okay. like to see them. I saw uh, a concert video of them. I like, lo- I love live music. Um, sometimes I don't like going to concerts because it's a whole thing. <laughs> but um, I saw them at a festival and the show looked fantastic. So I'd love to see them. So fun. Yeah. I'm all glad right. we're all getting out a little bit more. Isn't that nice? really good. Yeah. 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 So, I went to a hockey game recently. That was really fun. Oh, did you? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. All right, Bobby, your book was fantastic. I loved it. Thank you. Um, but we just scratched the surface on this topic. So tell our listeners where they can find your book and find out more about you and, and your work, which is which is awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I've loved being a guest here. This was a wonderful interview. Um, so you can find out everything about my book on my website, which is just my name. So it's bobbyrebell.com, B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L. From there, you can also listen to my podcast, which is Money Tips for Financial Grownups. You can learn about grown-up gear, which is great gifts for all the adulting life <laughs> stages. And you could also find out if you're interested. I, I love getting out in person or even doing virtual programs and speaking to different groups. So if you're looking for a speaker for your next event or thought leadership for your wealth management company or what have you. Um, if you just go to my website, you can see it says work with Bobby and you can get all the information about the different programs that I have going on. And yeah, if you buy the book, please uh, review it on Amazon. They like that stuff there. They do. Amazon likes reviews. So help Al- me out. Algorithms and the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, Bobby. It's been a pleasure having this conversation and I hope we get to do this again sometime. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. I hope you found this helpful. If you did, please subscribe and share with your family or friends. If you have a topic you want us to cover in future episodes, send us a note through our website. And if you're at the point where you want an expert opinion on your finances, reach out and we'd be happy to start a conversation. And remember, any comments, insights, or strategies discussed on this podcast are intended to be general in nature and therefore may not be suitable for you and your situation, whatever that may be. Before acting on anything we discuss, please consult with your attorney, CPA, and or your financial advisor. 